What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. On this week's episode of the Green Street Hammers podcast, we are absolutely buzzing after that result away at Everton as West Ham pick up all three crucial points. We give match previews for Chelsea and Macclesfield Town, as well as touch on some West Ham team news regarding Declan Rice's contract and a possible loan deal that may be going through in January. All that and more on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. This is episode two. As always, uh, site experts Adam Smith and Scott are here with you for this uh, our second episode. Scott, how are we doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, it's a happy week for West Ham fans, so I can't really uh, argue with that. Something that's not beating AFC Wimbledon with 10 men to be excited about. How about that? A uh, nice little positive for us to build off of here. Definitely. I mean, beating Everton at any point in any season is a good one. Uh, as I said last week, got a bad record, especially at Goodison Park, so very positive and uh actually confident ahead of a match which is nice it's it's like a foreign feeling it's been so long actually it's been since like david Moyes took over and that run we went on uh in december and january of last year that i felt a little bit confident about the games moving forward here um but yeah i think that's a good place to jump off it's the most uh poignant thing it's the most exciting thing we've had literally all season so what do we think of the everton match here how did west ham do obviously it was a 3-1 away victory um, it had been a long time since West Ham, uh, not even a long time, it's just been very sparse that West Ham's got results out of going to Goodison Park. Um, what'd you like? What'd you see? What about man of the match? Who, who, was, who was your man of the match in that one there we can start with? Uh, I think man of the match is a tough one. I mean, the, the good thing about the match was that everyone seemed to play well. Uh, we've had victories in the past sort of six months or so where we've had one or two players that have sort of picked up the team and really drove it on. Uh, but this one was good. Uh, we actually saw the defence come into it. Declan Rice, for me, was like a sort of an unsung hero of the match. He sort of broke play up. He kept the ball where possible. He killed the space for Sigurdsson. But it's the 
the attacking players took their headlines because uh, the work between Onatovic and Yarmolenko is growing. Yarmolenko's second goal was Oof. wonderful to Oof. actually someone <laughs> trust themselves to come in a bit and have a go. And uh, I think, I say, Yarmolenko got the headlines, but for me it would be Onatovic or Rice, I think, man of the match. Uh, and Felipe Anderson put in another, or he put in a really good performance. Again, not the headline stats, not your goals, not your assists, which everyone seems to bang on about, but he was breaking up play, he was getting involved, he made more passes than anyone else. So if he can get on the score sheet this this week, uh, hopefully we won't see this negativity of, oh, he's not a 40 million player. <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he didn't choose his price tag. He's just playing the best he can. And uh, for me, I, yeah, I, I don't think there was a bad performance against Everton, and that was really pleasing. You know what? I, I I agree with you. Like Declan Rice looked like he like a man of the match performance. He looked like he was completely motivated. And, and well, it probably wasn't fair to take him out of the game at half uh, against Liverpool and not put him back in until uh, Macclesfield Town or uh, sorry Wimbledon, but uh, not put him back in a Premier League game until now. Um, seemed a little bit harsh, but he 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 never seems to take anything and let it bog him down. It's like everything seems to be motivation for him going forward. He takes it. Uh, he realizes that this is going to be an opportunity afforded to him with Wilshere being injured and completely runs with, with the ball once he gets it. But uh, anytime it's your starting debut in the league and you score two goals, uh, you, you got to give Yarmolenko some credit there. And he, what's amazing is when he's running back to, to defend or cover, he looks like he's stuck in molasses. But when he got goal side and he, and he saw the play developing with the ball over top to Arnautovic, that guy looked like Mikel Antonio in his prime sprinting down the right right wing there. No one could get in his way. Digne wasn't even in the right half at that point in time. So uh, I, I'll go I'll go Yarmolenko on that one. I, th- I think he, you know, you got to give the, the guy his due. But uh, like you said, the attacking players, all three of them looked really, really solid. And uh, you said the interplay between Yarmolenko and Arnautovic was, was noticeable, right? Yeah, that's, I think... Uh... It's it's obvious to anyone who's played any sport when you like someone, you really feel like it's it's, it's easier to play with them. You feel a little bit more willing to give the ball and make extra runs to cover them, and they seem to be on that similar wavelength. And you saw in the celebrations they were having a laugh with each other. It's it's nice to see a West Ham team with a little bit of uh, sort of camaraderie that isn't professional at times and. Um, I mean, I think once Yarmolenko gave the ball away down the right-hand side or sort of overcommitted, and Arnautovic sprint back into his own half to cover that right-hand side. Like, it's a big 50-yard sprint. There's not many strikers in the Premier League that are going to do it. Uh, so it was quite a nice sight to see. I mean, especially after, uh, I think it was Stan Collymore said that Arnautovic was a uh, fancy oh, damn player. What a uh, in the work for it. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me... That that uh, partnership could be massive this season, and I'm very excited by by that. If that's their first game, you know what? What's kind of funny is that you, I'm glad you brought up their reaction. They were like hugging and joking, even when everyone else had left to go set up to start the game again. Arnautovic was like hugging him aggressively, pushing him around, slapping him in the head, and they were like they were like literally like like pals on a Sunday league. Like you just set your buddy up for a beautiful goal, and he takes it and. Uh, What's what came to mind as soon as I saw that was last season when uh, Arnautovic had two goals I think uh, and he was I forget the match that it was but he he went through the box 
the defender kind of dragged him down from behind, and it looked like it may have been a penalty call coming, and Lanzini comes in and just bombs the ball into the top of the net for a goal, and Arnautovic looked pissed at him afterwards because he's basically saying, like, you just took my, my goal away from me there, and it was like this, things were so lean at the time, it was already into 2018, uh, you know, Arnautovic was basically probably thinking in his head, I'm playing for my personal stats so I can get out of this mess next season maybe you know maybe that's reading too much into it but uh he basically <laughs> looked completely pissed off and then as you saw Lanzini and him grow in this partnership of striker center forward to two center forward whatever whatever Moyes employed um they started loving to feed and play off each other a lot more but um there's clearly there's clearly a, a less of a gap between uh Yarmolenko and Arnautovic than there is between Lanzini and Arnautovic when they started but it gets you a little bit giddy with thinking that Lanzini is going to sometime be back in, in, in this team alongside Felipe Anderson, Yarmolenko, Arnautovic. It's, it's kind of exciting. I'm, I'm happy. And it's crazy that none of this has to do with Everton, really. But uh, that's just what one good win gets you thinking about. Yeah, it's the it's a positive mood. And uh, like you said it there. Like I know, I, When Arnautovic doesn't score, I do want him to be annoyed. Like I like a striker that when you have a 50-50, like if I, I could shoot, I could pass it. And it's like it's fifty percent. Like, there's no better option as such. I'd like my striker to take the ball on. I want my striker to shoot. But what he did there was quite clearly go. Yarmolenko has a better option than me. I will square it. Like, he was unselfish. He had the vision to do it. And Yarmolenko is in there. Um, I mean, we've seen t- like over the last season or so, uh, especially since we moved to London Stadium, we've seen opportunities where Arnautovic has been the only player forward for like 20 30 yards so yeah he's had to be selfish a lot of the time he's, he's he can't provide a lot um, but then again saying that he's there's no only Salah has scored or uh, or scored and assisted more goals than him in 2018 uh he's he's a he's a top top forward it's so. it's crazy how effective he's been in this position where he's never played before uh and it's crazy he didn't get upgraded on fifa but that's i guess a topic for a different time um I know you you wrote something on it, but uh, give us your abbreviated thoughts here on just how impactful Pedro Obiang was in that free ro- free roam box to box role that he had. Yeah, I think he, he was brilliant. I mean, I I think you can't compliment Obiang without looking at the players that allowed him to play there because we've seen Obiang and Kiate play before, and Obiang has always had to be back because Kiate's positioning was awful, uh, and when it when the positioning is awful, it, it means you have to run more. And Kiate didn't really like putting in the extra yards getting back. But with Rice, his positioning seems to be so much more natural, so much more sensible that he cuts out play. He stops attacks before they really start. And that allowed Obiang to take up a position further forward. And we, he didn't. He only assisted the third goal on Altovich's goal. But it was a lovely little uh, sort of dinked, um, weighted ball through. But his play to release Arnautovic for Yarmolenko's first goal. Um, it was just a simple one-touch pass, and then he was turned and gone. The Everton midfielder wasn't with him. He'd found space. And, and the, the way he put ball, on that ball over top was perfect. Yeah, that, that's, that's an easy ball. To, I mean, in terms of can I put this ball over the defence, yeah, a lot of players in the Premier League could, but it's a ball that you then have to run onto, um, and it was perfect. So, I mean, if we can really allow Obiang to put his passing into good use... He's also a very good player as sort of a, a second to Rice. I mean, we've got Noble in there as well, but 
I think Noble is. I. Um, I think he's he's done so much for West Ham. I'm just not sure where he fits into this side now. Yeah, and um, having to preface it, it, it with that too kind of kind of says enough right there, right? Yeah, I I I, I say there's when people talk about the great escape with Tevez, Noble had an amazing season. He's he Noble's done so much for us up at the, in the Premier League. He's done it in the Championship, and he never stops putting it in. Um, I'm just not. If you ask me to sort of define what Noble does and what does it, what he does best, it's hard. And uh, I've heard people talking about it that he does the little things that he does, and I think that's what um, the role he filled in against Everton was. Uh, so you had Rice, you had Obiang. So Rice was holding, Obiang was a little bit further forward, interacting with the ball, like passing through, and Noble helped sort of just act as a third sort of point on the triangle when you're passing through uh, maybe an extra man in the in the middle to help break up the attack he kind of just filled in the extra parts and he did that well I say everyone against Everton had a good game um, but it's, it's, it becomes harder when you when you're looking at potentially playing a weaker side I think you're tempted to look at Noble as the first player to sacrifice for another attacking player. Yeah, that's so fair. it's it's uh, it's an interesting like sort of uh, junction for him as a West Ham player because you've got a lot of players that people consider legends, and Noble's done a lot more than he, them. Uh, and so I think in a few years we will consider Noble uh, a huge legend. It's just whether what role he fits now, and Pellegrini has to try and find that. Yeah, and I, I tweeted from our account during the, the match that that Noble didn't look up to it, and he, he would be my first sub off, um, and I'd like to see him replaced by Robert Snodgrass. Snodgrass was played a lot in central midfield last season for uh, Aston Villa and looked really solid. He was able to, to get involved in the play, and if you're going to have an, an extra player from that bench kind of fill um, a midfield with a little more attacking sense to it, I would like it to be Snodgrass. I think he can do that well. Um, but yeah, like Noble... It, it, we should almost just preface everything that we're ever going to say about Noble as this is not a question of character or not an, uh, not a you know uh, being ungrateful for what he's done for West Ham, but he what he does really well, and uh, this is this is sort of the give and take with him. What he does really well is he positions himself to make great plays, uh, and an example of that would be his positioning on the the, the kick that uh, Jordan Pickford gave away that set up Yarmolenko's second goal. He slid. He kind of just ghosted and slid right into this void, and completely took away that option from Pickford, who couldn't pull out of his kick by the time that it happened. And it's like that that veteran positioning, that veteran ability to get in the spaces you need to be in, gives him the chance to be effective. But then when you see someone like Gilfie Sigurdsson, who isn't the fastest, but someone who runs up field, or Bernard maybe is a better example on his uh, on his play that led to the goal for Everton. Um, as soon as the play is moving around him, he looks more like a passenger than he does like someone who's going to stick a leg and make a solid tackle, turn the ball around, and run upfield with it. If you give him mm, the ball, yeah. he can outlet outlet it really well. But people are people. No one was really slating anybody, but people were put pinning that goal on Issa Diop for having to step up on Bernard when he when he did like sort of a fake shot and shuffle over uh, mm. at the top of the box, and and, and Diop did, but. He did, he did one leg kick, fake leg kick, kind of half step over to the left after passing the ball back and forth with Lucas Digne. This is Bernard. And, uh, and Noble was, was gone. It's like he had a pair of rollerblades on. He just completely rolled to his right. 
Bernard turned to his right and then basically created all this space. And if Diop didn't step up, then Bernard could have essentially walked into the box and had a free shot on goal. He eventually pinged it over and that ball was then pinged back in the box. And the guy Diop should have been marking was now free, which was Sigurdsson, and he put the ball in. So um, you can draw a thousand conclusions to a thousand different goals, but you know, a, a Mark Noble of a couple different years ago, maybe a couple hernia surgeries before this, would have maybe made a different play on that and been a little bit more difficult to to get by. But like we're saying, he's he's going to be a guy that you know you you need, and we're going to get into it later, uh, talking about the leadership and inspiration that this team sort of used to start this match. But um, yeah, he he did he did a lot right, but there's also some some glaring holes in in what uh, in what happened in this game for him. Yeah, I say. I mean, you touched on it a little bit, but I think what uh, the whole side sort of let a few too many crosses come in um, during the game. I think there was something like twenty-three crosses Everton had from open play, and that's a lot. Like, I mean, uh, we were lucky in the fact that Tosin looked like he hadn't scored a goal in years, um, and Niasse uh, smacked that ball off the crossbar uh, when he really should have found the target, but. Um, Apart from that, that little area, we we looked decent all the way through the game, and um, the the defence actually looked like they were coping with the high line for once, uh, for the first time since Pellegrini's coming in and implemented it. So yeah, I mean, I'm happy with sort of like progressing forward with this side. I just think there's little bits that uh, need to be worked on throughout. Yeah, and I think we we dodged a bullet with a lot of injuries. You can't take that away. You can't really take that out of the match because it played into it. And But more importantly, Richarlison wasn't there. And like you said, Sengtosin uh, wasn't really on his game. He had that free shot inside the box, and he shot it right at Fabianski. He had the header that he put right at Fabianski's chest. He just was off the mark. And then you see Nias comes in and actually puts something with some pace on it that was challenging, even though it hit the crossbar. But uh, Richarlison had been getting into the box and being sort of like that drifting left forward that kind of gets into gets into some some troubling areas. And we were we were lucky to miss him. But you have to take you have to, good teams take advantage of other teams' you know mistakes or weak points. So that's something that West Ham did well. It's not something that should be held against them. No, not at all. I think uh, say there will be other times where we have a lot of injuries or. Um, there'll be times when Everton have a full side and they'll still lose uh, games so it's you can put it down and say yes yes it probably was easier because of injuries um, especially like I say you've got uh, Richardson to get suspended that was a huge bonus to us and uh, Coleman uh, right back being out as well it really helped um, our attacking movement but yeah we took advantage of it totally. uh, it's a, you, you don't play their first like, it's not Oh, yeah, but that's going to be in a little asterisk next to it. We won. We won that game 3-1. Our squad beat their squad. We move on to the next one, and we try and take that confidence. So it's, um, yeah, we, we have to sort of go from it. And as you say, we can't say it's uh, not a real win because we beat them, and we beat them playing <laughs> three well. Points so. Three points, yeah. And it was away, and it was, you know, a, a tough fixture. And let me know your thoughts on my take here on this, but Everton is arguably... Um, the perennial favorite for, in the last couple of seasons anyways, for best team outside the top six. They always seem to be uh, a team that is aspiring to do better things. Um, you know, they're, they're spending money where they should. They're hard to beat at home at times. You know, they, they're one of those teams, I think West Ham has been alongside them in the last couple of years as favorite to be one of those better teams outside the top six. But 
going to Goodison Park, not having a win on the season, um, having zero momentum, and coming into this game and having a statement win, not eking out a 1-0 or 2-1 win or accepting a draw and moving forward or accepting a close loss that was a good effort, another building block, but going in there, putting three on them, uh, making them make mistakes. You know, Yar- Yarmolenko scored a beauty. Arnautovic is getting involved again in more goals and, and basically playing like how we want West Ham to play. Again, Anderson looking shifty down the left side. This was a statement game for West Ham uh, and sort of uh, a notice because I think West Ham is viewed probably by a lot of people as a sleeping giant. And we're involved with a lot of uh, fantasy Premier League uh, accounts on Twitter and whatnot. And, you know, people are... Should I start Yarmolenko? Arnautovic is a, is an every week must start for West Ham. If anyone's going to score, it's going to be him. T- tends to be the scouting report on West Ham. But they have these options like Felipe Anderson. And now that Yarmolenko's fit, he's getting in starting minutes and he's on the score sheet. It's one thing to start, but it's one thing to know that you can have the mental capabilities of scoring in this league. Getting the proverbial monkey off your back. Um, the Giants starting to wake up. The Sleeping Giants starting to wake up here. And I think that... Uh, if Felipe Anderson starts getting on the score sheet, I think he had a phenomenally underrated performance against Everton. Uh, if he starts getting on the score sheet, this could be uh, something that a lot of Premier League teams will, will fear, is uh, how we're going to cope with West Ham, not how are West Ham going to change their mentality to play us. Yeah, I mean, you hit it now on the head uh, with, like, Everton are uh, historically a great side. They've always been in the top... I think they've always been in the top two divisions. Uh, they've won leagues, they've won trophies, they've been in and out of European competitions. Uh, I mean, you go back to when David Moyes was their manager, they were always sort of challenging that top four that was established at the time. And when people start comparing us, like, like West Ham fans will turn around and go, oh yeah, but we could do this and we can get better than Spurs. I think what you've got to look at is you've got to look at teams like Everton who are very similar to us in, in that regard. Um, they have rivals that are always uh, especially in the last 20 years so years they are they've been the secondary rival in that in that city as such we've got um they've got history on the side they've got this sort of uh, for the people attitude um and i like i do like everton i think they're a um, they're a very uh, easy to like side um they've had a little up and down in the last couple of years with their change of managers uh with like the sale of Lukaku and trying to recover from that. But they are they are a good side and they will always give it all. Their fans make it really tough to go to their stadium. And yeah, we've got to take those three points. And if if you're after a marker, I think if you can finish above Everton at the end of the year, you're really looking at a progress for the side. Um, and they've, they've made some decent signings this season. Um, I like to look at um, uh, Lucas Digne. Uh, he looked good getting forward probably better going forward than it was defensively um Fair. and yeah with Richarlison um Bernard looked like he could be a handful on, his, on the right day oh. uh, they, they could really uh, progress um and they could challenge they start challenging that top six again but it's up to us to make sure that they don't step away from us in this regard and this was a, a positive step in the right direction but let's let's move forward here let's uh Let's end the Everton talk at a harsh note here, and we'll step in and we'll let's look at what's coming forward with Chelsea. All right, so West Ham now have the Premier League perfect. Uh, I think it's 15 points out of 15 uh, for Chelsea coming up. They're coming to the London Stadium, uh, a, a team 
that is really good coming to a stadium that West Ham can notoriously not really perform at. Although, one of the caveats of that is when Chelsea comes to town, what, uh, what do you think of this Chelsea squad when it comes to their depth, how they're built, how they're playing so far, and, and maybe where, if anywhere, West Ham can, can step in and, and make things difficult for them? Well, I mean, Chelsea are top of the table right now and in a league that contains uh, revitalised Liverpool and Man City led by Guardiola. That's a, that's a decent ask. I mean, it's a, you can't really ask for more than 15 out of 15 points. Uh, Hazard's looked on fire. Uh, Giroud looks like he's found his form again, playing as a proper target man. And they do have players behind them that can really trouble midfield and defence. So, I mean, you've got uh, Kovacic playing in there at the moment, William. Uh, but then if they drop out, you've got players like Barkley who can come in. Uh, Loftus-Cheek had a good, uh, all looked good during the World Cup. Uh, it would be nice to see him play in some Premier League uh, football as well. Uh, and then at the back, they've got um, players assisting, like uh, Alonso, Azpilicueta uh, can get involved as well. And then you've got to try and get through their midfield. Um, I say with Kante in the middle there uh, and Jorginho, uh, you're suddenly looking at it's a real task to break them down. Um, so yeah, they're they're a good side, and I think under Sarri, who's going to be playing a lot more attacking football than we saw with Conte, players like Hazard are going to be given that little bit more license to reign and sort of push forward, and that's that's worrying. If he's on form, he's he's one of the best players in the league. Uh, he does notoriously blow hot and cold, uh, so maybe we'll catch him on a bad day. But considering he had the midweek game off and he scored a hat-trick in the last game. I'm too confident there. I always think there should be like an asterisk beside if you score a hat-trick and one of them's a penalty, but the asterisk should only be if you don't win the penalty because it seems crazy to me that someone does all this work on a play, gets their legs taken out from under them, and then you know Eden Hazard steps up and puts in a goal, and everyone starts hugging him and celebrating him. It's like, you're supposed to score those, and you didn't even win that, but... That, that aside, I think that, yeah, Hazard is definitely going to be um, the focal point for, for for Chelsea going forward. But something that's kind of unique here, Jorginho leads uh, the Premier League in passes with 509. The next closest is Americ Laporte, uh, or Americ Laporte from Man City, uh, who's at 465. So there's a noticeable difference there. Um, and then to round out the rest of the top five, you have David, uh, David Luiz, Antonio Rudiger, and Cesar Azpilicueta, who are starting center backs and right back for this Chelsea side. And Marcus Alonso is in seventh place uh, with 361 passes. And that, that shows you just how I'd love to see, and I'm sure that it's somewhere out here, but um, the, the possession numbers for Chelsea in their games, because that, that point right there says that they have four defenders at the top, at the, at the midway line, and one, uh, one midfielder, Jorginho, sitting there and they're passing the ball around in an umbrella the entire match that's all that says to me and they're just holding possession and they're waiting for someone like Eden Hazard to just make a run take a step in or waiting for Olivier Giroud to set himself up on a smaller defender they pop the ball over the top and he'll bang it in um I think that 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 passing and that um that that style of play sorry ball maybe uh is is something West Ham can will have to cope with but something they can maybe prey on uh, a couple times last season, West Ham looked really good pressuring the ball. As soon as as soon as the ball left someone's foot, they had one to two players on the person who was receiving it immediately. Uh, and it's you know you, you expose yourself to having quick passes, take two or three guys completely out of position. But if you can force an error, especially like David Luiz 
is a great player, but he is not as clinical as he used to be, and he's also prone to some errors. Um, if you get all these players committed forward and holding possession and you start forcing turnovers on them, you know, West Ham showed last week what they can do in a counterattack with Arnautovic and Yarmolenko and Anderson. So uh, I think maybe some midfield pressure may be exactly what's needed for, for West Ham in this one. Yeah, I mean, they, as you say, like they, if you look at the players that are holding the ball, they sort of start the game, they start their position in a similar way to the uh, Barcelona of old, like the tiki-taka. Like they just hold the ball at the back, they'll move it around a bit, and they'll probe for some space. The difference is when they start moving forward, they're a lot more direct. And um, as you said, they will hit Giroud. They, will, they don't mind uh, firing in a ball to... Hazard to Kovacic as they make those runs beyond your uh, midfield line and in front of your defence and it's suddenly it's very hard to pick up if you then all start moving forward with that ball um, so yeah I think uh, pressure would be a good thing but it's it's up to play it like if Declan Rice can do what he did last week um, sit in that hole really make it tough for people to make to take um, touches in front of our defence because the goals that Hazard has scored has been when he has received it and the defences have to step up because, I mean, Hazard versus most players, I mean, you're probably saying he's probably got a 70% chance of going around someone. So he's going to take those odds. He's going to, he, he likes the odds of taking a one-on-one. He likes it, uh, that kind of confrontation. He will take a one-on-one, but you need to make sure that he doesn't have the ability to bring it down and take a step, like yeah. take a step out with that ball. Um, because say he works well with Giroud and we will suddenly find that we're chasing the ball back rather than sort of keeping the ball in front of us and that could be um, hopefully it's not something we see on uh, on Sunday is uh, our defence having to to show that they are quick chasing back because as soon as you start running backward or turning and running towards your own goal uh, it's dangerous are, are you hopeful for a result in this match, or are you confident? How would you sort of uh, characterize how you're feeling heading into this uh, about getting anything out of it? Um, well, I mean, uh, so we had some had some tough games to start off with, but I think when you look at Chelsea, they're, they're not quite used to the style. Um, like, like when we played Liverpool the first game of the season, this is, they were essentially a similar team to what they had last year uh they had uh, a new goalkeeper and maybe a new like, midfielder but they were like they were polishing off a finished style and they seem to be playing well this year but chelsea's style has been completely reinvented over summer and they have shown it at glimpses that well they have been vulnerable i mean cardiff scored first against them uh arsenal should have scored three or four against Oof. them I am I am confident that we can do something, but it does require a good performance. It's, this isn't like us going like last game of the season, going to a team that's already down. I'm confident. I'm talking. I'm confident. If we play well, we can take the game to them. We can we can disrupt what they what they're trying to do. So it's yeah, it's kind of a confidence tinge with the expectation that Chelsea have got a better squad than us. So it's one of those. If we can get the stadium rocking we've seen it before the Chelsea game like last year where Arnautovic scored early on and and then we played solid football uh, if we can do something similar as you said we've got a count we've got a front three it can really hit you if you start pushing us and that could work to our advantage because you can't you don't like Marcus Alonso is much much better as an attacker than he is at a flight like, if you keep him press back, press back 
if Yarmolenko can get in behind him a few times, start worrying him, start making him think, oh, I can't push forward all these times, you suddenly have a massive advantage that maybe people haven't exploited yet. And Yarmolenko offers something too, a, a winger with size, not just skill to deal with. So Alonso's not a shrimp or anything like that, but Yarmolenko's going to tower over the, the likes of just about anyone in, in the Premier League. So frustrate him, get on him, get that physical pressure going, be annoying. Uh, and try and get under their skin because the law of averages has to come at some point here. This Chelsea team is good, but they're not undefeated good. So uh, why can't it be West Ham that, that does that is sort of the mentality. Um, but the couple things, they have to weather the early storm, right? Like if, if Chelsea's going to do anything, they're going to probably start on the front foot, get Willian and Hazard involved early, get Giroud going over top and, and passing the ball like nuts. So... Like I think you said, yeah. Declan Rice needs to step up in that midfield. Yeah, I mean, so Rice had a great performance last week, and uh, I'm hoping he can do the same this week. Uh, he's well. The side needs to trust their football. Uh, we mentioned it last week where we played Bournemouth, where we were one 0 up, and we got nervous. And we need to trust what we can do. And I'm hoping the fact we scored three goals last week means that even if Chelsea do come out the blocks and, and nick an early goal, we trust what we're doing and don't just put our heads down and go oh we can't do this now we need to look what we where we excel and we have three good attacking players and we can we can challenge we can challenge teams it's just yeah obviously i'm not sure if we're going to keep a clean sheet because i say we haven't kept a clean sheet this this season and chelsea have scored i think an average of three goals a game uh so it's we're yeah, they've scored 14 goals so far in five games. So you're really looking at it's quite it's good. The odds are against us keeping a clean sheet, but it's about keeping our heads if they do score. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, West Ham's more often than not, I guess this this year so far has scored the first goal in the match. They scored the first goal against Bournemouth, against uh, Arsenal, and against Everton. Um, don't take your foot off the gas when that happens. Continuously yeah. play like you're trying to get back in the game. Right, keep that. Loser, keep that losing mentality in order to get that winning success. Uh, it'll be tough. I think you and I are kind of on the same page with this, and I think a lot of West Ham fans are too. You're confident coming out of out of our, uh, Everton, uh, but you're not you're not getting unrealistic here. You're not you know okay now the doors are blown wide open. We're gonna go and uh, and take the league by storm. It's a game by game basis. West Ham have the players to be able to com- contend with someone like Chelsea on a one game uh, on a one game basis. It could it could happen. There could, there could be a point or, or or three in it for West Ham here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I they they are a good side. They're not invulnerable, as you've said. I mean, they they wasted a lot of chances in midweek. I mean, I think that's mostly due to Morata rather than the rest of Chelsea. Oof, I hope he starts. He he won't, but I hope he gets in the game at least. Yeah, say he. I don't know what. I don't know what he's thinking at the moment. Right now, um, he must sort of everything going through his head. I mean, they they signed Giroud as a sort of a backup replacement kind of thing, and uh, he's suddenly starting. So, yeah, can't do too much for your confidence. But um, yeah, I don't think he'll start. Uh, and I think how we deal with players on the wings will be a big thing because if if you isolate Giroud, that's fine. Uh, we can you can deal with him. Diop and Balbuena can can deal with a single striker both good in the air uh, too yeah that's what i mean so it's whether you can um it's whether you can really 
um, stop the supporting players actually getting in position to do so. So Zabaleta versus Hazard, uh, William versus Masuaku on the other side, and whether sort of Rice can sort of kill the space back to Kovacic. Um, it's it's going to be yeah, everyone's going to need to play well for us to have a chance. But yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I'm hope I'm I'm hopeful ahead of the match rather than expectant. I think that's a fair a fair way to look at it and a good way to end it off there. So up next will be our look ahead at uh, the news around West Ham and uh, all of the latest stories that have developed around this uh, never quiet club. All right, maybe the most important piece of news for West Ham right now would be that uh, their budding star, everyone has him pegged to be the next captain of, of West Ham, Declan Rice is still without a contract uh, ex West Ham employee uh, has basically stated that they're still offering him less than what Reese Oxford's on now which is pretty unacceptable um, and I, I do want to bring up something about Oxford later but uh, thoughts on, on Declan Rice's contract I, I understand that the board are trying to sort of ignore the Reese Oxford contract because that was it was too much and, don't hold uh, us to a mistake we previously made right I, I think that, yeah, I think that's fair. However, we're not talking about a player that is sort of breaking into the first team. We're talking about a player that's, I think he made 30 or more first team appearances last season. He's, he's, he's in consideration for the team every week. So why is he not being paid the same amount as some of the others in there? I mean, yes, there's some sort of like idea of progression you need things to move up for. But we're talking about players in that team who are on more than 50 grand a week and are playing less than Rice. So why is like Rice who's going to be looking around going, like, I understand that at 19, I'm not going to be on 100 grand a week at West Ham. Um, but why am I not getting paid for the job I'm doing? Uh, it's, it's the same as any other workplace. So if, you've, if you're doing exactly the same job as someone, you get paid the same amount. It doesn't matter about your age. It totally. shouldn't do any. Totally. So if I was, so if I'm in my workplace and I see someone who's 35 doing exactly the same job as me and getting paid more, and I'm going, well, why? And they go, oh yeah, but he's uh, he's seven years older than you, so he's getting paid more. It's like, well, that's completely irrelevant. I turn up Monday to Friday, I do my job, and that's what Declan Rice will be saying to his agent. He'll be saying, I'm doing my job. I want some compensation for that. Like he knows that that's a, a huge wage in comparison to the average wage of the world but you get paid for the job you do not for like the, everyone else so he's comparing it to the players around him and i think he's right to do that and uh, i think it's very short-sighted of the board to not meet him in this one because he's a player that we could get like let's say net future captain he could be here for 10 15 years and to lose him a little bit now in terms of like we don't want him to look back at these negotiations and go last time I tried to negotiate it took ages and they were really unfair with the things they were offering and then he'll go oh well I'll look elsewhere yeah it makes sense that's a that's an easy line to draw right and, yeah, and what I, you think sorry go ahead no, so you'd think you'd think that was an easy line to draw but it seems to be there's just these ugh, really tough uh, like it's inconsistencies of the board that I think are making people uh, annoyed and frustrated. I guess the flip side of that is basically you can say, well, the board learned that you shouldn't be handing young players crazy contracts before they've really proved it. But Declan Rice is not the player to be trying to learn from on that because, like you said, he's he's a first-team player. 
And he also forced, didn't force, but he, his playing and his style and his international play has basically adjusted Manuel Pellegrini's transfer strategy. Uh, he didn't need to go out and get the center defensive midfielder that everyone said they needed because he was taking Declan Rice from that back line and putting him in the midfield. Pellegrini saw him as a starting player. Pellegrini saw him as, you know, an out-of-position starting player or a new position starting player that would save him some money. So it's clearly the board that's making this this harder than it has to be. But there's also, um, for, for the North American fans, it's not like we're coming to the end of a, of, of a negotiation period here. Rice is on a contract now, uh, and he... It's not like we're going to lose him at this moment in time, but like you said, uh, you know, this could turn his attention to look somewhere else if he's not being respected in these meetings uh, in a monetary way. So um, I, I totally agree with what you said there. It, it needs to be sorted. It, it's something that's kind of getting a little bit, uh, not embarrassing, but a little bit iffy when it comes to how it's going to play out. The longer it goes, the, the less excited I am about the result. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, we've... It, to touched upon it a few times uh, other podcasts have touched upon it that West Ham doesn't seem to go a week without something coming out that's negative about the club uh, one I think fans do like a moan but the board don't help themselves no. at all and this is a situation where they would be able to sort it it's not for example like uh, Declan Rice is similar age to players like Nathan Holland and um, Zande Silva Oof. but but I mean, Nathan Holland and Silva are both talented players, but they haven't played first team, uh, first team football yet. So we wouldn't be giving them first team wages, and they would understand them. And you can't. Like, so I understand where they might be going. Okay, we gave Oxford too much. We're not going to make the same mistake with Holland and Silva. But here we have a player that is being considered every week. I mean, even when Oxford made the first team against Arsenal, and uh, I think in the Everton game he played as well that season. He was in and out. He wasn't really a first-team fixture. He wasn't in that squad all the time. So it's a very different process that we should be going through right now. And I'm not sure the board have taken the right stance. And they're now going to be uh, treading water. Dangerous. Well, from, from one player that they need to sign to one player that they probably wouldn't sign, what are you making of the uh, rumors, the transfer rumors that the Express is posting here that West Ham are interested in Alvaro Morata from Chelsea on a potential loan deal in January? Uh, I'm not particularly sure. I haven't looked at the details of this, mainly because I saw the headlines. I uh, saw a few people retweeting it, and I just went, what? what? That doesn't seem to make that much sense. I mean, here's a player that cost Chelsea more than £50 million, um, last year. And he can't hit the target right now. I think he had seven shots at midweek and he didn't hit the target. One of them, he's not a physical player. Like, like if I can understand if we were looking for a loan for someone who was sort of similar to Arnautovic, uh, but not maybe not in the first thing. <clears throat> Morega, Morega. But, yeah, we're, we're looking at a player who sort of plays off the last man, gets a bit of space and fires in a shot. And I mean, before he came to Chelsea, he was a decent finisher, but he's not a physical holding up player. Uh, so I'm very confused to where these rumours would go, how he would fit into his side. Uh, yeah, I'd, and whether Chelsea would let him go on loan. I think it's uh, just connecting the dots by by some quote unquote journalist here that Chelsea's not performing when it or uh, Murata's not performing when it comes to playing for Chelsea. West Ham have this blow up at Everton about Lucas Perez. 
uh, potentially not warming up, even though that was basically a, a timing error from from the coaching staff and also the, an injury error with uh, Arnautovic having to come off immediately. So that was dispelled, but you create a little seed of unrest in the team with a striker option. You find someone else in the league who's underperforming, and all of a sudden you have a beautiful marriage of a potential story here. Um, I think it's just basically we're going to just see more and more of it until until January comes for for West Ham, but also for other teams. Uh, but yeah, like you said, the the style. I think what we've learned from having Chicharito here, who's unable to get a start and unable to make an impact when he gets in the game, is West Ham don't need small uh, technical finishers. They need big physical guys to sort of hold up play by themselves and make something happen rather than just finish off the play. Yeah, I mean, there's not... If you look at the Premier League teams that are succeeding at the moment, um, all of them have, like, they tend to play with a single striker idea. Uh, like Man City is very fluid. Uh, Liverpool is quite fluid as well. But they have a striker in there that can hold ball up. Like, uh, they have a bit of pace. They have that movement. I mean, Firmino is not hugely physical, but he's able to drop back off and play well with his back to goal. Um, he plays well there. Uh, Aguero might not come across as a big man, but he's he's so strong. He's great at holding Stocky. the ball. On the turn. Uh, and and his finishing is outrageous. Um, so you're looking at players that like they all fit a sort of physical mold. They're all able to hold off a defender. Morata doesn't seem to have that willingness to do that all the time. Whereas I think Sarri has highlighted with Giroud that he is. And Giroud would play all season without. I mean, he he played. I don't think he scored in the French World Cup win. Uh, no, but he played. I think he played most of those games, and that's exactly what he does. He's not a goal-scoring striker. But he frees up so much space for everyone else, brings people in. And you're looking at Morata going, if you're not scoring, what are you doing? And he's not doing it. Where, I say, you look at the other top teams, Lukaku, it's very physical, bringing other players into the game. Aguero, he's very clever, good passing. Firmino, the same. Yeah, you're looking at these players and going, okay, I don't really know what Morata would bring to West Ham nothing that they need right like that's that's basically what it boils down to and I, I think it's it's literally just uh midweek something to publish right um maybe something a little bit more important to west ham would be um the leadership that was kind of called into question after west ham started so poorly and then something that was made uh, a part of the actual um narrative going into the everton game apparently after the wolves lost mark noble was ripping into some notable players on the team no one was named but uh, it sounds like some attackers on the team were getting some flack from uh from mr west ham and then before the uh before the everton match him and zabaleta basically talked to the team set the rules down of how it's going to be made this almost i don't know i don't want to say game plan or anything like that but they sort of set the the rules about how we they they as a team and and professionals should handle themselves moving forward and how they need to be giving their all which shouldn't have to be a reminder but nonetheless it worked um we've talked before about how it looks like noble is going to be slowly starting to disintegrate out of this west ham starting 11 uh what do you make of these sort of leadership talks and, and the requirement of having someone on the team who can represent the club from a player level like noble does yeah i think it's a i think it's a big thing i like the fact that someone does take charge of it and i would if if that's the role that noble brings to the first team then brilliant if that what if that's what has to happen to get some people going i he's good enough player to be in that first team for that reason and it's it's always i mean 
for the, the public for, to look at these footballers and go, well, why do they need extra motivation? Like These should, players should be giving it all week in, week out. Sometimes a little bit of perspective shift and they don't, they're not quite realizing what they're doing. Uh, so someone like Noble would sort of grab them by the metaphor, metaphorical collar and um, sort of give them a shaking and tell them who they're playing for, tell them what they've got to do can have that effect and I, I say I'd rather the talks didn't need to happen but if they've happened and they've had a positive effect I think we just need to take that and go okay cool uh, let's just hope build on these, it. Like, yeah build on it like I say those, those talks happened people put in a shift and we got a win that should tell them okay we have the ability to do that let's put in these shifts actually yeah sort of put in that extra effort make that extra run like cover that man a little bit more than you think necessarily at the time but it might help you later on it's just it's a little change in attitude uh, anyone who's played Sunday League side uh, anyone who played in a Sunday League side will know that if you have someone shouting at you that, that extra vocal player it just you know if anyone was to ask you you'd give it all but it's just someone effectively constantly reminding you uh, that little voice in your head going, no, keep going, keep going, <laughs> put in that extra bit, and maybe that's what some of them needed. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And it, it basically you start the season and then games happen and things come off the rails, but it sets the standard again. It sort of makes that baseline. And everyone's talked about how, and we've talked about it as well, how uh, Declan Rice is the incumbent captain. He's the next one in line after after Mark Noble is done with the team and. The fact of the matter is, right now he's he's what 19 years old. So uh, he at 19 he doesn't really have the clout to be telling Arnautovic how to play. He doesn't have the uh, experience to tell Felipe Anderson to respect the jersey that he's wearing. And, you know, and then the list goes on and on and on. And he doesn't necessarily have he can say all these things, but he's not going to have the experience to make people pay attention to them. Uh, and I assume those players would, and they would want to respect their team, but. This, I think, is a big gap of where of what you're missing when it comes to having uh, Jack Wilshire being injured. Wilshire is the perfect gap filler between Mark Noble and Declan Rice as far as being English, being a West Ham fan as a child, you know, having lots of experience starting from when he was a kid, being brought up in the academies, uh, playing at Arsenal in the top club. He's got European experience. He has all of these accolades, and he's still, what is he, 26, 27 years old. So uh, th- there's this missing link um unevolutionarily speaking uh there's this missing link between uh the incumbent and the current and that's wilshire and and i think his presence being missed is is kind of great for west ham at this time yeah i say i like i I still think wilshire's got a lot to offer west ham and when he comes back hopefully he will sort of take up a little bit more of that as you say the leadership i i like the fact um well, I, I think that's what Zavaleta offers as well. He's that experience. He has the, doesn't have the tie to the club the same way, but he is a Premier League veteran. He's been he's been there. He's won it. He's done it all. There, that is someone that people will respect. And I think you're right to say that Rice is young. Um, I'm hoping that as he becomes a first team fixture, someone that plays week in week out, he, he you garner that respect to that. There is an age aspect to it, but the more you play, the more people will respect you. Um, whilst that's still coming on, Noble's there, uh, Zabaleta. I'm hoping Arnautovic starts to take it on himself because he seems to be one of these players that flicks between 
uh, sort of commanding, and then it gets a little bit uh, sulky at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think maybe Pellegrini's done the right thing. He's given him the penalty um, responsibility. I think he had the armband when Noble was all out. It, I, I think he's trying to basically now go to Arnautovic. We can't always bring you up. You've got to start doing it to others as well. And I think that will come. He seems the kind of player that likes to prove people wrong. Um, and if we can get a few leaders in that team, uh, I think um, I think we'll do well. Uh, it's one of the reasons I would have liked to have kept James Collins at the club. Uh, the West Ham Way podcast um, and XWHU employee, he talked about it as well. Even if he wasn't playing, he's one of these players that, I say, by all accounts, he's a lovely guy, but you just you wouldn't want to disagree. You wouldn't want to let him down uh, when he's in that, when you've got to go back and explain yourself to him in the training like at the training ground or in the changing room you've got to have these players you don't want to let down and that, those kind of figures around the club that really make you proud to play for the club if even if you've just been signed so it's you have to have that balance and i hope we get there yeah i think uh there's nothing i can really say to to take away from what you said there it sort of it sets the tone right like it, it basically like we had said before, raises that standard of what West Ham is, and you want to, you always want to grow your own players to set that standard. So Rice is going to be important, and I think it, the more he plays, so like let's say, I use the example of uh, he's not going to be able to tell Arnautovic what to do. Well, if Arnautovic and him play alongside each other, and you know Rice is putting in these performances that carry a team, much like how both of them did against Everton. All of a sudden, Arnautovic has this player-for-player player respect for him because he knows what he's doing on the pitch. And like you said, that's the experience that comes with this. So uh, I think we're we, you and I are on the same page there, too. It, it just makes sense for for him to be that uh, that next man up uh, for West Ham. Uh, but to finish things out here on Episode 2, which I think it's had some good flow to it. I like it better than Episode 1 so far. But uh, to finish things out for Episode 2 here, um, there's another match we should preview because we won't be able to talk to... Uh, to the listeners here before we uh, we get to this match, and that is the uh, Carabao Cup match, the round two match, or the, the second round match for, for West Ham anyways, between the Irons and Macclesfield Town. Macclesfield Town, just to set the scene for you here, is a League 2 team. They are currently in the relegation zone, uh, 23rd out of 24 teams. Their current form is uh, they've lost their last three, minus 10 on goal differential, and in eight matches they have zero wins, two draws, and six losses. Um, I don't want to say cakewalk, but uh, this could be the perfect rip the band-aid off if West Ham doesn't have a good performance against Chelsea and sort of force you into another match right away. Boom, it's two or three days. It's two days later, I guess, three days later. Uh, and you're right back into a game that you should be dominating. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games. The only thing I'd have to think about is, like, obviously, we should be winning this kind of game. It's the what what team are we putting out? Do we put out a mix of uh, the first team and youth? Uh, do we try and build continuity? I know we've used the get the games in the past to try and do it. I think the danger with that is if say we have a an all right performance against Chelsea, but we lose, and then Pellegrini goes, I know what I do. I'll play my first team against Maxfield to try and build the confidence. If we come out away with a scrappy one nil win, or it becomes a real dull affair, that doesn't boost confidence that potentially dents it so i i'd like to think that we see some youth players come in uh you'll probably see players like cresswell uh coming at left back 
Uh, I imagine Ad- or Adrian will play as the cup keeper. I'd like to see um, Nathan Holland and Sunday Silva give it a go. Um, these are the kind of play games where they need to be showing that they can step up because the the, the Premier League two is it's very technically good, but the ten- the intensity isn't always there. Here they're here. They'll be playing against players who have to give it all like week in week out to just to keep their wage packets the same um, and yeah they're on they're probably earning more than these Macfa players already so it, these are the games where they need to show it I mean Sunday Silva scored quite a few already but um, yeah scoring against professional players will bolster his uh, case and I'd like to see Nathan Holland because I think he could be a very technically uh, adept backup uh, for someone like Felipe Anderson if uh, we have to rest players later in the season or injuries come in. Yeah, and, and it's an opportunity It's an opportunity for some of these guys to, to make their name and to, to sort of stake their claim uh, at a West Ham starting position, not starting position, but, you know, uh, putting their name in consideration. Uh, and you brought up some good names there. Uh, I'm excited, actually, if we do see Zonda Silva to, to come up and see what he can do against some different opposition. Um, because the Premier League two side has dropped some some games in a row here, but uh, he has still like when you follow the Twitter updates from from West Ham United, he still is making all of these uh, making all these plays and creating offensively, and I think he's just got some crazy speed and some crazy skill that uh, we could potentially be seeing uh, as a maybe a fitting backup. But I think maybe playing him in a partnership with Perez or uh, Chicharito may actually be the way to go, where you sort of uh, shield him a little bit from the direct, you know, pressure of being the frontline striker of a Premier League team, and knowing you can't fail in this game. If you give him someone to play off of, like those two guys who can sort of take control of a game against, you would hope can take control of a game against a team like this. Uh, you may see some some dividends start showing up there. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, you, you want these kind of games to be something because I know this cup isn't a huge uh, draw and we don't um, it's not the FA Cup that kind of thing but I, you want the players picked to be really pushing to really give something to this uh, to the match and uh, I hope we do I hope I, it's always nice to keep winning and it's always nice to end up in the later stages of a cup here we have I think we've got the lowest we've been drawn against the lowest team in the cup still so we should give it a decent shot yeah, I can't. I cannot disagree with you there. And if you're okay with it, and I'm okay with it, let's end on that positive note here. Uh, next time we record one of these, let's hope it's two more wins under our belt, and West Ham are, are flying now. Uh, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that we're going to see something from Felipe Anderson here, but don't hold me to that. I'm excited and I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, but uh, any final final words? Any final thoughts here, Scott? No, I say. I- very happy to actually be on this uh, podcast where we've been talking in a very positive manner because like the team has actually given us something to go for uh, i hope we don't end up next week talking about some scandal that's happened or west ham losing five nil so like keep the effort up and hopefully we'll um we'll have a few a run of a few positive podcasts in a row i, I cannot wait for that moment in time i, I can't wait for that uh, until next week this has been the green street hammers podcast
Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep. Thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep. I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow. That's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.